You're listening to the Smoke Signals Podcast, hosted by Jake Dungan and other IBI contributors. We're talking tribe. Well, good day, good afternoon, and good evening, wherever and whenever you happen to be tuning in. We are glad to have you aboard. I'm Jake Dungan, Editor-in-Chief for Indians Baseball Insider, and we wish you a happy winter meetings. That's right, the uh, winter meetings have just wrapped up in Vegas as of uh, today on Thursday as we're recording this, and uh, we got a lot to talk about, uh, suffice it to say, and uh, joining me tonight for a little roundtable discussion, we have uh, IBI contributors, uh, first of all, Justin Lada. Justin, how's it going? Oh, it's going well. I'm glad we have something to talk about, even if it's a little controversial. <laughs> uh, absolutely. We'll get right into it as soon as we get through the uh, yeah, particulars here. And uh, also joining us is IBI contributor uh, Corey Christen. Corey, how you doing? Hey, gentlemen. Happy winter meetings. Happy holidays. Happy Rule 5. It's good to be back talking baseball. The best week out of season in the year. Yeah, that's true, and uh, there's certainly a lot to discuss. You know, you never can tell when the winter meetings come what's going to happen, if it's just going to be all talk and no action, or the world's going to be turned on its head. And uh, I think we saw a little bit of both this week. And uh, the Indians waited until the 11th hour to uh, finally make some noise after being involved in just about every rumor you could think of. Uh, But they actually did uh, make a big make a big splash, and uh, some people might debate whether or not it was to benefit or in a detriment to the team, but I guess it depends on who you talk to. But the deal we are speaking of, of course, is the one that has reunited uh, longtime first baseman Carlos Santana with the Indians in exchange for uh, veteran first baseman and DH Edwin Encarnacion, who was going to the Seattle Mariners as part of a three-team deal. The Mariners and the Tampa Bay Rays all involved with the Indians. And also uh, swapping teams in the deal will be uh, outfielder and first baseman Jake Bowers coming up from the Rays to Cleveland. And also a player to be named later, which was revealed to be Cole Solzer, a minor league reliever for the Indians. He will be heading down south to Tampa Bay. And then we also have some uh, cash considerations changing hands. I believe it, the final numbers were $6 million coming from the Mariners to the Tribe and then $5 million from uh, Tampa Bay to Seattle. So, uh, gentlemen, your immediate reactions to this deal, bringing back Carlos Santana, swapping out for Edwin Encarnacion, you know, we, there's obvious uh, positives and negatives to this deal, but uh, I wanted to get your immediate thoughts on this. Uh, Corey, I'll start with you. Well, from a community standpoint, bringing the character that is Carlos Santana back into the Cleveland community, into Northeast Ohio, that's, in my opinion, the biggest positive in all of this. You get a guy who has been a fixture in and around the city of Cleveland. I believe he never sold his house after he signed in Philadelphia. Um, he's always loved Cleveland. Cleveland's always loved him. That part of the transaction is... In the best part of, about all of this, but when it comes down to baseball and business, um, it makes sense for a lot of reasons and it doesn't make sense for some reasons. You know, at first when I heard about it happening, I 
knowing that the Indians need to shed some money and free some money up so they can make a little more move, um, it makes sense to go bring Carlos Santana back. It saves them some money compared to getting Edwin Encarnacion's contract paid. Um, you you get Yandy Diaz off the books, which I'm not a big fan of. I thought he was going to be the finally the starting third baseman that we've been hoping for. But um, Tampa Bay, that's a whole other story. Tampa Bay's building something down there with Kevin Cash. Um, but with the Indians, getting the money is the big focal point. Freeing up dollars that they can use in free agency, that they can wiggle around with trades. I, I just think that it's it's a deal at a glance that you might second guess at first, but when you go back and look at not just financials, but from a baseball standpoint either, you might lose some power production when it comes to Encarnacion versus Santana, but you're still getting on-base production, walks, you're getting a guy who is selective at the plate, who, who doesn't just swing it at any, everything, and granted when Encarnacion does it usually it goes very far. But Santana is a more complete hitter than Edwin Arcanacion is. So I wouldn't even consider it a downgrade other than the home run column. So I, I, liked, I like the deal. I think it's an intriguing deal that the Indians had to make if they want to stay competitive with Boston and Houston and New York. And this should be the first of a few more that are to come with the Indians organization. And Justin, you know, Corey brings up the point of the – uh, shedding payroll, creating some uh, salary relief for uh, the tribe in 2019 and beyond. That's been the focal point pretty much since the start of the offseason for the tribe. We saw it with uh, you know them trading on Gomes, which we'll get into later in the show. But you know the Indians are saving a little bit of money here by swapping Santana for Encarnacion. Encarnacion is, is set to make. Uh, about 21, a little under $21.7 million in 2019 versus Santana, who's only making uh, about $20.3 million. And with the money changing hands, uh, $6 million of of uh, cash considerations coming with Indians' way, you know, you factor that in as well. The, uh, Indians are saving some money for sure, and let's see if they are able to utilize those and reallocate that in a positive way, but... Uh, what was, what was your thoughts on the deal outside of the uh, salary relief that was created by uh, this player swap? Well, the salary relief, obviously, I think was the, ended up being the key, but it made it made it made the deal make more sense because, as it, you know, the rumors had picked up. I think uh, Tuesday was the first time we heard that the Indians were interested in bringing back Santana after he got traded to Seattle. And we're like, okay, well, does that really make sense? And then when the rumors started, it looked like, okay, are they flipping Edwin for Santana straight up? That seemed really odd. But, yeah, when you factor in the money, it may, everything makes more sense. I think just production-wise, I think, like, like Corey said, you know, you're not, you may not get as much power from Santana. The on-base will be better. He'll still hit for some power. Um you know, but also play better, better first base. I mean, this impacts Yonder Alonso, obviously, but uh, Santana is the superior defender, and he's somewhere comfortable. I think when you look at some of his numbers, we all know that Santana is not a great first half hitter. He just, in his career here, he never hit well in the first half. He always picked things up in the second half, and I know that's, you know, it's one of those things you can't point at and say it's a, 
a statistical there's a reason for it or anything, or you can't say it's predictive, but uh, that's always been the case. And I think that coupled with the fact that he was in a new environment in Seattle caused him to uh, struggle even more. So I'm not really concerned about his performance from last year. Obviously, he's a little bit cheaper and, and goes deep, uh, his this year, and his contract runs a little bit deeper, so it also gives them some flexibility in the future with not having to go out and find a new first baseman next year. Um, and then, the, you know, the Jake Bowers thing is, is really interesting. First baseman outfielder was a much better-rated prospect than Yandy Diaz. I mean, Yandy, Yandy Diaz has never been on any real prospect list besides ours, um, unless you count the fringe five on fan graphs. So it's not like he was ever highly regarded. And I think it makes a lot of sense. You're going from Diaz, who, while he was a third baseman, the Indians might have that spot open right now. He's 27, and there is the language barrier issue. And who knows if that swing change was ever coming. I mean, he's a guy who needs to hit the ball in the air more to take advantage of the high exit velocities. But we haven't seen him do that yet. And and at 27... Is that going to happen? It's hard to say. You hope so, but I don't think it's a guarantee. Maybe Tampa Bay has a better time getting through to him. Um, but I think with Bowers, you know, he's going to strike out a little more. He still walks a decent amount, maybe not as much as, as Gandhi. But uh, now you have a guy who can play first base as well, who might be able to play the outfield. Uh, it's a little protection for Bobby Bradley in case things don't pan out because he kind of had a rough year. So there's all good things in this deal, but I like, you know, how they spend the money. This deal's not complete until they reinvest the savings in, in another player that, that can help on the field this year and, and years to come. So this, I, I still think the deal is incomplete overall. So uh, I forgot to mention at the top there about Yandy Diaz going from Cleveland to Tampa Bay. Uh, that's how complex this deal was and how <laughs> many moving parts there were. So, yeah, I want to talk about the Yandy Diaz and, uh, and uh, Jake Bowers dynamic a uh, little bit later, but uh, I want to focus on the Santana and Carnacion part of this deal where, uh, you know, basically we know what the uh, salary comparison is and that uh, from a financial standpoint, it makes more sense to have Santana than Encarnacion. But let's talk about it from a performance standpoint. Now, Santana, uh, granted, did not have uh, a great year by his, by, by his uh, standards, you know, he only batted 229 with a 766 OPS and uh, had a Wade Runs created plus of 109 and a, a war of 1.9 after basically shaving a win off his uh, off of his production from uh, his last year with the Indians in 2017. But it still wasn't ter- terrible by any means because, you know, he had 24 homers, 86 RBIs, 110 walks versus 93 strikeouts, adding up to a 352 on base. So, by all accounts, it still was a pretty close to being a typical Carlos Santana year. So, the Phillies were not were ended up not being too uh, too satisfied with him enough. At least, probably not enough to uh, pay him the money that they were. And plus, you know, they want Reese Hoskins to play first base now. Uh, so, a lot of factors in play there that ended wound up leading to uh, them trading him. Plus, I think they're in the Bryce Harper sweepstakes as well. So uh, that all factors in. But uh, I think bringing back bringing Santana back makes sense from a performance standpoint as well because while Encarnacion is the proven veteran, good cleanup hitter uh, presence in the middle of the lineup, which admittedly the Indians do need in 
this lineup dynamic is certainly going to be shaken up now with bringing Santana versus Encarnacion, but, you know, Encarnacion, he's no spring chicken anymore. He's going to be uh, only getting older from this point on. He'll be 36 coming up soon. Uh, and 32 homers, 107 RBIs. He had a uh, weighted runs created plus of 115, down about 15 from last year, from the year before of 130. He went from a 2.3 win player in 2017 to just a one win player in 2018. And then when you look at the projections for Fangrass, depth chart to the steamer, uh, both favor Santana over Encarnacion. Santana is projected at a 123 weighted runs created plus by both prediction uh, algorithms and uh, a 2.6 war by depth charts and a 2.5 war by steamer versus Encarnacion, who's only predicted at a 118 weighted runs created plus and a 1.6 uh, war and a one by depth charts and a 1.4 war by steamer. So I think that when you factor in all the things like age, uh, uh, hitting profile, yeah, you lose some power production and maybe a little RBI production with Santana, but as far as everything else goes, I think you're uh, taking a, a step forward and improving uh, your roster by bringing in Santana at this point versus Encarnacion. Uh, uh, Justin, what say you about all that? <laughs> That's a lot to swallow. Um, I know. <laughs> I mean, everything's just so complicated. Like, I mean, like you said, I think the production – is going to equal out for sure on the field. And I do, I don't think, I don't think the Phillies soured on, on Santana as much as they wanted to have Hoskins at first and they wanted to chase after Bryce Harper. I think you made a good point of that. I don't think, I don't think it's because his values down or anything. I think they just, it was a bad roster fit. Uh, it's just interesting now that the Indians are going to pay him, you know, when he got for in the free agent market, when they weren't going to, they didn't want to re-sign him last year. Um, but I mean, it, it, it probably makes more sense. I think he is going to age better than Encarnacion because you saw the strikeouts going up with Encarnacion this year. And I also don't know how much, how much that hand injury affected his performance. I mean, he, he tried to play with that hand injury for almost a month and it ended up hurting his bicep. So he did play through two different injuries that I think affected his swing quite a bit. So it's hard to guess, you know, how much that decline was age related and how much that decline um, is injury related. But I think the production kind of equals out in the end. It just comes from different places. And I sort of think that the Indians needed Encarnacion's power production. So I'm a little skeptical about how they replace the power aspect of it um, because we've seen in the past that, Santana is just not really a middle of the lineup type hitter. He was much better here when he was um, at the top of the lineup. So I'm curious to see how they they reintroduce him to the lineup. I mean, if he comes back and leads off here again, I think that's a great a great idea because I think they need Lindor, well, like Ramirez, to be a more RBI opportunities and not lead off. Um, but I, I do think overall he's going to age better. Like you said, he's he's what is he four years younger than Encarnacion. Yeah, about so, that. Yeah, I mean, you are going younger. They did want to get younger, and they also, I mean, 32 is not young, young. They're not, you know, looking five or six years out. Um, but they do have him for two more years after this, and or two years, uh, including this year, at a younger age. And I think he has a skill set that ages better because he walks more than 
Encarnacion ever walked, and that's that's generally a skill set that ages better, um, unless you're Nick Swisher. But that's you know a whole different uh, issue. Um, and they got Bowers to get younger too. I think that's the important part too, is they have a guy that's going to um, help them going into the future. So I, I still think they want to get younger too. I think that's the whole thing is they want to have a younger roster and in 2019. So they're ready guys that can help them win this year and guys that can help them win uh, in 2020 and 2021 as well. And Bowers accomplishes that. And to an effect, Santana is going to help that as well. Probably more so than Edwin was. And it saves them from not having to pick up Edwin's option for next year. Cause think about it. If they, if they, if he had a pretty good year, could they really afford to pay Edwin? What is it? I think his option next year was 25 million. If they picked it up. So, yeah, I was just pulling up his uh, salary. It's uh, he's he's actually it's only twenty million for next year. Yeah, for that, that include the, I think they have to. I think they have to include the buyout in that, don't they? Though it's twenty million dollar team option and five million dollar buyout. Regardless, still they're still saving money. They they are. Yeah, I mean, I, I if they had to pick that option up because maybe Bobby Bradley wasn't ready. They were going to lose Yonder Alonso unless his option vested because of plate appearances. Um, I, at least this just saves them from from having to do that. They have a cost controlled first baseman that they're very comfortable with, you know, and and who, like we said, should age well or age better than those two. Before we shift gears to the other aspect of this deal, uh, that being the Yandy Diaz Jake Bowers uh, dynamic. Uh, Corey, you have any thoughts on uh, swapping uh, Carlos Santana for Encarnacion? Well, I was putting a provisional Indians lineup in my head together as Justin was talking there. And um, if you, if you're willing to, and by you, I mean, Terry Francona, if he's willing to split up Lindor and Ramirez in that lineup and not have him hit back to back or every other hitter or whatever it may be, do you keep Lindor hitting leadoff, bet Ramirez third or fourth, and you have Santana hitting second? That sounds like a. They decent. tried that once. Would it work in? Would it work this time around? Maybe. Yeah, that's, that's a good point. Would it? I, that's my thing is, I, and I understand Santana was hurt last year and he dealt with injuries. So I I want to almost consider last year in Philadelphia a wash year and look at what Santana did in 2017 to earn him that money. You mentioned Encarnacion having a 115 way to runs created plus. That's exactly what Santana put out in 2017 with Cleveland, a 115 WRC+. He was a 2.9 war player, which he declined down to a 1.9 war player last year because of injury uh, factors, I presume. Uh, He hit one fewer home run and drove in seven fewer runs in, what was it, seven fewer games. So, point is, when it comes to Santana... I think that bringing him back to Cleveland not only gives the Indians lineup another bat that can just supplement the top of that lineup. And I feel like if you hit Santana behind Lindor, you know, that provides protection with Frankie right at the top. And then you could go Ramirez three, maybe Alonzo four. um, And you could work in that way, but uh, providing Yonder Alonzo still there, I should say. So, I I think it makes sense, not only from the money standpoint, they get younger, you bring a familiar face back in that the community and the fan base loves, 
And you bring a guy in who's not just going to get up there and strike out every time he steps into the – I mean, he's going to put quality at-bats together. It's one of the things when you talk about Jake Bowers that I like about him. He takes quality at-bats. The, the kid takes pitches. He makes pitchers work. That's what Carlos Santana does. He's not there looking to hack. He's not out there looking to hit home runs. I think it adds a little more versatility to that Indians lineup, and especially a switch hitter. You get a switch hitter back, which if you leave that – think about the top of the lineup with three switch hitters starting right off, and they just happen to be your – at least two of your three best hitters, if not all three of your best hitters. And uh, talking about getting guys back who can uh, draw more draw more walks, see more pitches, that kind of thing, I think that – you know, while I'm not too thrilled about losing power production, I'm certainly, I certainly would like to see them try to get another uh, impact bat who can maybe provide a little more uh, power production. But I think that what the Indians need to focus on, rather than adding more uh, home runs and RBIs to the lineup, is just trying to find a way to keep the line moving in the lineup. Uh, you know, I, I've been saying for a while now, ever since the uh, Kansas City Royals won the World Series in 2015, that the big strength of their lineup was they just were re- relentless. One through nine, they just kept you on your toes. And I think that getting closer to that rather than trying to, you know, add add uh, a couple of Encarnacion's into the lineup who, you know, have good power but are also aging and you know, that might have some strikeout problems here and there. Or, and Alonzo, too, probably fits in that mold, is trying to find guys, yeah, who – can hit for average or can get on base or can t- make pitchers work. That's that's what they need to do. And I, I think that going back to when the Indians didn't sign Santana last offseason, that's what I kind of said had said before about what they were losing and what they were going to miss. And I think they ended up that ended up being the case. So bringing back Santana I think is going to help in that sense. So I'm interested to see you know what other moves they make this offseason and if they are able to lengthen this lineup any more and make it more of a complete and cohesive unit than it was the last couple of years where, you know, if Lindor and Ramirez weren't hitting well, the, the lineup was just anemic and they couldn't do anything as the, uh, we saw against the Astros and the Yankees the year before. So uh, that, that whole dynamic definitely comes into play and I'm interested to see how that all plays out. But uh, let's talk about this uh, swap because I think this is, if not uh, as interesting, uh, at least close to it. Yandy Diaz for Jake Bowers. Uh, a lot of people, uh, especially people who follow the minor leagues, are, were a little irked by this deal, this side of the deal at first, because, you know, Yandy Diaz has grown to have a lot of hype uh, among the fan base here. And, you know, I think those, those of us who follow the minors regularly are mostly uh, responsible for that. And, in our coverage, and, you know, we've all, all three of us have uh, raved about Diaz's uh, performance and his uh, uh, potential at one time or another. You know, I, I still contend he's probably one of the most patient and, uh, and, uh, most patient and uh, natural hitters. I don't know if that's the right word, but he sees the ball as about as well as anybody I've, I've ever seen come through the system. So uh, to see him, not really get a shot with the Indians. I mean, he got a, a few extended looks, but nothing really to truly prove himself and prove that he deserves a that stay in Cleveland. I mean, he did he did 
with what little time he could, playing time he got, he did prove that he could uh, hit the ball well. But, you know, there was, as Justin said, there was pos- the, the language barrier. There was potential talk about from Terry Francona about how he needs to work on playing defense, which I'm not so sure is completely convinced was a real issue or not, based on the fact, you know, he was voted defensive best defensive third baseman in the Eastern League several years back by his uh, peers and his uh, coach, other coaches and managers. But uh, that's beside the point. But then you bring in Jake Bowers, who, you know, not a, is not an elite guy who can get on base like Yandy Diaz is, but in his minor league career, he has gotten on base at a healthy clip, drawn a lot of walks, and he's got a little bit more power, so he can obviously loft the ball a little bit more. So there's a lot to... Uh, dive deeper into, you know, on this, when you look at it on the surface, you're thinking, all right, you're, you're uh, trading away Yandy Diaz right when you think he might be in, on the verge of uh, making an imp- a long-term impact on uh, for a major league team, whether it be the Indians or somebody else. And then you swap him out for Jake Bowers, who is doesn't have sexy numbers, but he has uh, – he has solid numbers overall, but you know there's nothing really that stands out for sure. Uh, so, what is your what are your guys' thoughts on the trade, uh, Corey? Yanni uh, Diaz for uh, Jake Bowers. Not you have to. I think you have to really dive deep on to really see the value. I, I would agree to that, and I tell you, one guy who loved it was our guy Jeff Ellis, our draft expert, who if he believes in a prospect. He has a pretty good hunch on those. Um, he tweeted out today basically that, you know, he thought Jake Bowers was a really good get. He's always been a high-class performer for his age at each level that he's at. I mean, he's only 23 years old, and he's already logged 90-plus games in the major leagues. Um, I I think there's two different ways that I'm looking at this as well. This was part of the head-scratcher to me. I understand that the Indians need outfield depth and Bowers has played outfield. I wonder if they looked into guys like Austin Meadows or maybe Tommy. I know Tommy Pham just got signed, but you know, that's a name that's been linked to the Indians and rumors before. I'm thinking about Bowers as an outfield prospect because I really don't want to think him as a first baseman because Bobby Bradley's ETA lines up as early as this next season in 2019. So when I look at Bowers and what he brings to the table, it's, it's essentially a position swap. You're getting a guy that can play a better outfield, at least provisionally conceptually than Yandy Diaz can, even though Diaz plays a decent outfield and he has played outfield in the minor leagues before. Um, What I like about Bowers is his plate discipline. I like his walk rate. I like how last season he was a little over, um, a a little under rather, uh, two strikeouts per walk. I like the fact that he has a high on base rate. He only hit 201 with the Rays, but he had 316 on base. That's not bad at all. I I like the fact that he has gap power. He had 22 doubles in those 96 games with the Rays. And then in 2018, in those 52 AAA games he played, he added 14 more doubles. I like that. I like that he's young. I like that he's a guy you can build some outfield around. And even if, big if, Bobby Bradley doesn't pan out the way we all think he will or should, 
then you have a pretty decent fallback option here in Bowers. And we talked about the dynamic of swapping Santana out for Edwin and Carnacion, and that makes the Indians younger there. This also makes the Indians younger, and it fills a position that's a little more so needed than, I would say, third base is. Now, I would rather play Bowers in the outfield than I'd play Jason Kipnis in the outfield, and you put Kipnis back at second base, and you put Jose Ramirez back at third, and that's a whole other conversation as to what happens to Jose Ramirez's offensive numbers when he's playing second versus third base. But I, I think Bowers is a really nice get. I think if you're going to give up a guy like Yandy Diaz, who is versatile, who has proved himself in the minor leagues, but Justin alluded to it earlier, talking about launch angle with Yandy Diaz, you see all the pictures of muscles and biceps and this dude could lift a car if you asked him to, and he's got one career home run. Like, come on, there's a mechanical issue there. And I'm sure Tampa Bay, Kevin Cash, he's a smart guy. They have smart people in that organization. They can figure Yandy Diaz's swing out and make his launch angle work out for him. And he might he might turn that corner with Tampa Bay, if you just heard that train go off in the background. Um, I really like that deal. I, I like having a guy that's younger that can play both positions that are somewhat needed. First base, not as much as the outfield is. Um, and, and like and like I said, the Indians get younger with it. So that's hitting all the boxes that the Indians are kind of going into this offseason, I feel like. And what's interesting about Bowers is he uh, had a high strikeout rate in the uh, majors this year, which was some people were quick to point to. I mean, he had a strikeout rate near nearly 27%, which is definitely high. But his walk rate was still just a shade under 14%, which is also uh, pretty, also pretty good. And, you know, when you consider the fact that the minor leagues, the strikeout rate has been right around the mid teens for most of his career, you know, kind of elevated a little bit in triple a the last couple of years, but still not a, uh, a terrible amount. Uh, I think that that is worth considering, you know, he hits for a decent average right around two, the two seven, mid two seventies, I would say as far as minor league career and, you know, gets on base at a decent amount right around 350 or higher. So, yeah, he's right in line with uh, being a potentially uh, multi-layer productive hitter. The only thing is he just doesn't offer much in the way of home run production, but he has the gap power, or he seems to, at least the numbers suggest that. So it's definitely not, like I said, it's definitely not going to end up being the uh, the big on-base numbers that uh, Yanni Diaz offers, but I think that he, Bowers might offer a little bit more as ter- in terms of being a more dynamic hitter. And uh, I wish Yanni Diaz would get would have gotten his chance in Cleveland, and you know I, I would have preferred to have kept him if I had to if I had to choose. But uh, if he's not going to get it here, I'm glad he's getting it somewhere else. So, uh, uh, Justin, what are your thoughts on? Uh, on Bowers coming here, and do you think that the Indians uh, made a mistake giving up on Yandy Diaz? I don't think they made a mistake. I think I think this is a chance to be a win for both teams. I, I think it's kind of a weird fit in how the trade happened because the Indians don't need to get more left-handed. Like, we know they already have problems with the platoon splits as far as how many left-handers they have in the roster. But if you look at it from a value perspective, which I know people hate, thinking about baseball this way, but that's how GMs think, it's how teams think, it's how they build. So you have to think about it in the way they're looking at it is, 
maybe they didn't want to get more left-handed, but they felt like they could turn 27-year-old Yandy Diaz, who they maybe felt that was never going to make that conversion with, with a swing where he's going to the ball in the air more. I mean, more guys have been doing it the later in their careers. Like, you know, obviously Yonder Alonso late in his career has done it. Logan Morris and some other examples, but I, I don't know if it's fair to say that the, the language barrier played a factor into it or something. Um, but I, I, you know, I tweeted earlier today, there's a lot of people that don't believe in launch angle, but those same people are wondering how someone as jacked as Yandy Diaz can't hit more home runs. That's exactly what it is. It's launch angle. That's that's look how strong he is. If he if strength meant home runs, the guy might hit fifty, right? I mean, that's how big he is. But maybe the Indians just never felt that was coming, or they didn't feel like they could do it with him. So they what they did is they turned. You know, he had six years of control left. Diaz did at twenty seven years old, and and not feeling like he's going to get better offensively than he already is. Even though he's a quality hitter and can draw a lot of walks, is is six years of twenty three year old Jake Bowers, who has a similar ish walk rate in the minors with a better power track record, and they're comfortable with him playing in the outfield. Obviously, the Indians never got comfortable with Diaz in the outfield, uh, even though they did really give him a whole lot of chances, but they obviously never were going to. So they turn six years of of what they thought of Diaz into six years of. 23-year-old Jake Bowers, who's got really good minor league numbers, and you kind of got to look at how things went for him last year. He started off really well. His first 50 games last season, um, okay, let's break it up into months. June, w, or 152 WRC+, plus, July, uh, 107 WRC+, plus, and then he kind of bottomed out after that. First half, 139 WRC+, plus on a 301 uh, average on balls in play. Second half, 66 WRC plus on a 215 average on balls in play. So, you know, he kind of went through the rookie ups and downs. It's not like, you know, he was a flash in the pan. Those kind of things happen. And like you said, the walk rate in the minors has been good. His walk rate was still good last year. And I think his strikeout rate will come down. He didn't he didn't show that he had those really high strikeout rates in the minors. Not, not to the level that he did in the major leagues this year. So, I don't know. I think it makes a lot of sense. In, in getting younger, even if, you know, nobody really knows if he can play the outfield. I mean, his, his samples in the outfield in the major leagues were too small to look at analytically. I didn't see him play the outfield, so it's hard for me to sit here and say, he looked good or he didn't. I don't really know, and, and then we don't know how he looked in the minors. But they got a good a, a player who can be good. I mean, Fangraphs had him as, as their 39th overall prospect in baseball this past summer. So you just turned Yandy Diaz into a top 50 prospect. Yanni Diaz, again, Yanni Diaz is 27 years old, a solid third baseman who can hit for average and draw walks and doesn't really have any power. So you just turned a guy you never felt like you were going to, you know, tap into his upside into a guy who was a top 50 prospect who whose best day should still be ahead of him, and he's ready to play now. I don't, I don't see how that's not a win unless Bowers just totally doesn't go around the potential. But I still think Diaz could be a good player, and he's still someone – the Indians could have used in the lineup this year because they needed right needed more right-handed hitting bats and they needed someone who can get on base at the top of the order. So I I do think it's a win for both teams, really. I think it's going to be a win for both teams. I think the Indians are just hoping that they're going to get more long-term value out of it and starting this year. Yeah, and uh, I, I think that's something that has been kind of under-reported as far as 
uh, Bowers is concerned is his prospect rankings. I knew even I wasn't aware of his uh, Fangraphs prospect ranking. I knew he was a top 100 prospect for uh, MLB, but uh, yeah, top 50 prospect for Fangraphs. That's a uh, nothing to sneeze at either. And then like uh, I think Corey mentioned, uh, our buddy Jeff Ellis uh, has been really high on uh, Bowers, and he said that he thinks that. He tweeted out that this is a really, really good get for the Indians, even as a uh, a big fan of Yandy Diaz as well. So I think uh, I, I think you said, I think you summed it up best, Justin, by saying that this could be a, a win win for both teams if both these guys pan out. Uh, and uh, one pans out better than the other, then well, so what? Then they can always just say, hey, we traded for a prospect. We thought it was going to be have high upside and he just didn't pan out. Uh, no, there's nothing, nothing really you can do about that. So, uh, so if we were to, uh, if we kind of broken down all of the aspects of this deal, if we were to like give it, uh, I don't know if we want to give it a letter grade or, uh, satisfied versus unsatisfied, uh, let you guys choose. We'll give her a letter grade. Uh, if you wanted to uh, give the Indians a grade on this trade, uh, what would you give it? Uh, Justin, um, I would say, I mean, I, I really, I'd say incomplete because I still think this deal all hinges on, are you talking about, are we talking about the whole thing or just the Diaz and Bowers swap? No, just the, just the whole thing. The whole package. So Santana and, and Bowers, um, I, like I said, I really want to give it an incomplete because I think they have to reinvest the money. If they save money by swapping Edwin and Santana salaries for 2019 and getting, getting $6 million from Seattle, they have to put that money into an outfielder or a reliever or something that's going to help them this year. But um, let, let's assume that that's what the plan is. Um, I'll say I'm going to give it a B, uh, maybe a B-plus, depending on how the money is shifted. Okay. Uh, Corey? I'm right in the same boat with Justin, actually. It's, it's an incomplete because there's expecting more of this. There's expecting more from the Indians after this. And then in the B territory, because like we talked about with Santana versus Edwin, it's almost like you could compare Santana versus Edwin and Yandi versus Bowers fairly. I mean, we've been comparing it, but it's a fair thing to do because the Indians are going to get Santana back, who's more well-rounded than Edwin Encarnacion is, not to mention he's younger. And then with Bowers and Yandy Diaz, I feel like both players were in similar roles with their organizations. Bowers spent a couple years in AAA and never really, you know, he never solidified until this season after being in the minor leagues for six years. And Yandy Diaz really never found his place with the Indians once he got to the major league level. So I think both are fair swaps. For different reasons. I'm curious to see what Seattle does with Encarnacion. If he plays the season with them, if they shop him at the trade deadline, or even if he suits up for the Mariners this year. I mean, I feel like any of those three things can happen. But for the Indians' perspective, I think it gives the Indians' lineup a little different look. It certainly makes them younger. It gives them a different vibe going into the season, and it gives them that financial flexibility to do more than they already would have been able to do this offseason. All right. I would say right about the same as well. I think I'll 
I think we'll give it just a straight B, maybe B minus at this point, just for the incomplete aspect, as you guys mentioned. Uh, I, because I, you know, you bring in Santana, you bring in Bowers, yeah, those that that uh, brings in some nice upside, but you know, you're also losing Encarnacion and Yandy Diaz, so one could argue that maybe that that's a wash, maybe a marginal improvement. There's still more to be done, and I think that we've pretty much boiled down to this is more of a uh, case of bringing in some sour relief more than anything, although there, there are some marginal benefits as well. But really, the in, to say that the Indians uh, got better definitively uh, is probably not the thing to say at this point. Uh, like I said, I think they got marginally better, but I think that they to say that they're a better team than they were uh, before this deal is, you know, like I said, mar- marginal or uh, at best. So we'll, we'll see, but uh, yeah, I give it a B in with that incomplete caveat as well. So uh, let's talk a little bit about There's this. There's the quote uh, from Anthony. Here, yeah, real go quick. Ahead. Quote from Anthony, I think that proves the point we're all talking about was in Zach Meisel's story from The Athletic that said, it gives us more flexibility as we seek to build our team for 2019. Exactly what that means, we'll have to see. That was the only real comment about the trade. So... The fact that they're being vague about it and and you're talking about flexibility really says to me that the, this is just the first or I guess the second technically if you count the Gomes trade this is the second of what's going to be a, a probably quite a, at least a few more moves this off season. I think so too, and I, I I don't see it going any other way. You know, we got the Dolan's cheap people coming out in full force once again saying that you know they're just going out there trying to trying to slash payroll and and and. Uh, hold, hold on to the mo- money that they save, but I don't see that being the case, uh, especially after so many years of contention and, and, you know, with young guys like Bauer, Ramirez, and Lindor all still in place. They're, they're, they're going to reallocate and try to reconfigure the roster in a way that makes it more balanced and less top-heavy, as we discussed in in a podcast past. Uh but I did want to talk about the other aspect of this deal that leads to uh, the payroll restructuring, and that was the deal that went down just a couple weeks ago. Uh, we haven't discussed it yet on these uh, airwaves. Uh, that is, of course, the Jan Gomes trade that shipped him off to our nation's capital. It's one that uh, may, was not as well received by many, and you know, for probably some good reasons. You know, you trade away an all-star catcher, and your defensive stalwart behind the plate, the guy who really leads the pitching staff and uh, handles them about as well as anybody in the league. And then you uh, ship them off for a couple of minor leaguers, uh, albeit they're uh, some decent upside and intriguing players like uh, Daniel Johnson, uh, outfielder, uh, top prospect with the Nationals, uh, had a good breakout season a couple years ago. Uh, was injured for most of this past season uh, in uh, rookie league and then in Double uh, A, and then Jeffrey Rodriguez as well, uh, pitcher who hasn't pitched higher than uh, well he made it up to the uh, majors a little bit this year. Appeared in 14 games, had a 5.71 ERA, but uh, has supposedly has a, a good stuff, a good fastball that can read mid to upper 90s as well as a uh, 
a pretty decent curveball, and I think he was also working on trying to mix in a changeup as well. So, uh, factor him in, and then a, potentially a player to be named later. Uh, guys, I'll uh, ask you uh, what your thoughts were on this deal, and uh, I'll start over with you, Corey. Well, I'll answer your question with a, a, with a question. Does this say more about Roberto Perez or about Eric Haas? That's a question I, I actually tried to answer in a, a piece I posted last week about uh, how I think that this deal more more than anything signals the beginning of the Eric Haas era in Cleveland. Now, most likely, uh, Roberto Perez is going to shift to the starting catching role, which I think the Indians are more than comfortable with at this point, despite his uh, his uh, down season in, uh, as far as offensive production goes, but you know what he can do behind the plate as well, and he's just as capable as Gomes, if not more capable in some respects, that uh, with the glove. But I think that with uh, this trade and then also with the Francisco Mejia trade, that this mm-hmm. really shows that the Indians are placing a lot of confidence in Eric Haas to be their either future backup or maybe even their future starter. Who knows at this point? But uh, I do think that... Uh, that both those deals have signaled that uh, Eric Haas is going to be their guy for the future, uh, either as a backup or as a starter behind the plate. But, you know, it's still early in the offseason. We'll see if they add a veteran guy. But I do think that all signs point to that at this point. Yeah, I buy into that logic. I, I think that the Indians wouldn't believe in ha- They wouldn't have believed more in Haas if they didn't deal both Gomes and Mejia. You know, why deal both of them if you don't believe in this guy, Eric Haas? What I like about Haas, and Jake, you and I have extensively talked about him for, it seems like, three years now on the on Farm Report, all three years, is that Eric Haas' game-managing ability is something that goes undervalued. This year, when Shane Bieber and Adam Plutko were still pitching in AAA, Eric Haas caught both of their no-hitters. Bieber's was a seven-inning no-hitter. Plutko's was a nine-inning no-hitter. Haas received both of those games. He's obviously worked well with those two, and you could put Mike Clevenger's name on that. He obviously knows how to call a baseball game. I think that the Indians want to retain some of that familiarity. I think that goes a long way with that pitcher and catcher relationship. And the way that his power improved over the past few seasons, he's got 20-plus home run power. Maybe if he had you know better contact rate and better on base numbers, then it would be an easier call. But right now the Indians have two catchers that do different things. Perez is a very excellent defender. He's an excellent pitch framer. And Haas is a better bat than Perez is, but he also has that familiarity with Bieber and Plutko that he he could spot catch a start or two of theirs. So I think that with that said, shipping off Jan Gomes wasn't as difficult as it may seem on the surface. Getting back Daniel Johnson is intriguing to me because he had a broken hamate bone last year, and us three in this call know how a hamate bone, a fracture like that, can impact the baseball player's game. We know how that can impact them. Um, the year before, in 2017, he was the Nationals minor league player of the year. He had a 2020 season, 22 home runs, 22 stolen bases, and then he had the hamate bone injury last year. Still stole 21 bases, but only hit 267 um, with 19 doubles. He had six home runs and 31 RBIs. So a little bit of lack of power, but he still showcased some of that speed. 
he could play some center field. He might be a corner outfielder, but he could play center field if you need him. I think he's an interesting prospect, um, probably a 2020 ETA. But um, if he could rebound, he was number seven on the Nationals pipeline top 100. I think he was like 12 on the Indians when they updated it. So um, obviously when the IBI, the new IBI rankings come up before early in the season, you'll see Daniel Johnson's name in that upper echelon of the list. Um, I think he's an interesting prospect to get in return for Gomes. Yeah, and uh, I, I like him. I just did a, a prospect profile on him, and uh, as I did some, some deeper dive diving into his numbers, I think that uh, he's a guy who definitely has the potential to be an everyday player. He's got the tools to, to be that guy. A lot of comparisons being thrown around to Bradley Zimmer, but – you know, there are some differences. You know, Johnson's not nearly as tall or as lanky as uh, Zimmer is, but, you know, he's left-handed bat. He's had some issues uh, with making contact from at time to time. But I do think that he is a little bit more of a uh, little bit more of a developed hitter than Zimmer was at, at uh, this point in his career. And I think that... Uh, he offers a little bit more upside, maybe, uh, I think, with the arm. I think he's got a stronger throwing arm. And, uh, but other than that, you know, there's there's some comparisons there. And who's to say that, you know, comparing uh, to Bradley Zimmer is necessarily a bad thing? Because, you know, I know Zimmer is kind of on the outs right now. With injury issues, and he hasn't really panned out at the major league level. But, you know, when he was coming up through the minors, he was still considered one of the top prospects in all of baseball. And definitely the top prospect for the Indians. And, uh, you know, he's got athletic ability. He has, I think he has better uh, baseball-specific skills than that, than maybe Zimmer does. I always thought of Zimmer as more of an athlete than a baseball player. He just has the, the physical gifts to be able to do all th- great things in a baseball field. And he needs, still just needed to develop the actual uh, baseball instincts that have, players have. I think that Johnson at this point, just from a first glance, might have a little bit more uh, of those skills developed, but I think it's a somewhat of a fair comparison, and we'll see how that pans out. Jeffrey Rodriguez also intrigues me because of all the reasons I mentioned. He's got a fastball that can hit 97-98, and a uh, plus curveball, according to some scouting reports, and uh, see if he mixes in a third pitch. He's working as a starter mostly right now, but I think that those kind of offerings could play up in the bullpen. Uh, uh, Justin, what were your thoughts on this deal and the guys that the Indians got back? Yeah, I, Daniel Johnson's really interesting. Like, I mean, I know the Zimmer comp's sort of unfair, but <clears throat> it's all there, the strikeout issues. I don't think he's going to be ready to, to get involved this year. I also would not rule out them flipping him either. I think the fact is... We know that their system's taken a bit of a hit with some trades, so I, I don't think they'll trade Bowers. I think I, I maybe they will. I don't know. Maybe they'll hang on to him, but Bowers is still considered a top top echelon prospect. But I wouldn't I wouldn't rule out them trading any of those guys uh, this off season because they were trying to rebuild the system a little bit. So who's to say they don't use those names in flipping for major league talent for this year and the next couple of years as well? But I don't think. I don't think Johnson's probably on the on the list to help him this year, um, but the, you know the tools are intriguing. I'll, you always take the guys that are um, super tooled up and, and guys that can grow into 
their profile, you'd hope. I mean, Zimmer, I think, I, I feel like, I'd have to go back and look, but I feel like Zimmer's strikeout issues were so much worse than than Johnson's, like you said. And I also think that, remember, they did ask Zimmer to go through a somewhat of a significant swing change to try to tap into his power that might have helped, that might have made the strikeouts worse. Uh, I don't I don't know if that's the case with Johnson. We haven't seen that yet. Maybe it will be because he does need to get to his power because people say he does have raw power. Um, but, you know, it's not a good defensive outfielder who can do a lot of interesting things. I don't know much about Rodriguez either, other than what you said, Jake. Uh, I did see some video on him. It looks like, to me, he looks like he, he does, it definitely looks like a reliever with that, with the delivery he's got and, and that stuff. But I, I guess you could have done worse for Gomes. I mean, if you think about it, Gomes, is, is, he was an all-star this year, even if he was an alternate for an injury. Um, did have two pretty bad seasons offensively, injury-wise, in years prior. Um, wasn't great offensively overall, but was good compared to the rest of cat- catchers in baseball, which um, is pretty bad these days. Defensively, it's kind of a hit, I think, because he is the most comfortable guy on the staff, the, the staff trust. Um and they just look. I mean, I, I want them to give Eric Haas the backup job. I think there's nothing to be gained from him going to AAA again this year. Um, but they weren't super committal about it. I think Francona or was it Antonetti? I don't know whose comments it were it was after the trade or during the winter meetings that said, you know, we're excited to see if he's able to if he proves he's able to be our backup. Like, will he be? Will he not be? So I think they're going to probably go out and sign, potentially sign somebody to compete with him to back up just in case they need a veteran. And, you know, Roberto Perez also has an injury history too. He's had um, a couple issues come up with the, uh, the hand. And I know those were kind of fluky, but uh, you always have to be worried about that. Even though I trust Perez a lot defensively, it's, it's a risk. You know, he may, I mean, even if Gomes was not a great hitter, he was still better than a lot of other catchers. And I don't think we've seen the best of Perez's offensive abilities, but, it's a risk because you have a guy who hasn't been a full-time starter, who is, uh, who has had his own injuries in the past, and Haas, who hasn't really played a whole lot in the majors, and you don't know what he's going to be, even though I know all three of us really like him, and the Indians obviously like him, but it's it's a risk uh, to do that to clear salary, even though it was a position of strength, but um, I think the Mejia thing is separate of it because I think they were always going to trade Mejia. I don't think they ever felt like Mejia was good enough to catch for them defensively. So I think that's doesn't really factor into how they felt about the whole thing. But um, I, think, I think they cashed in on, on Gomes's value now before maybe any regression set in and, and dealt from a position of strength and save money where they could. Well, I definitely think that they had the wherewithal to trade uh, Gomes as far as, you know, you're not losing – a whole ton with shifting Roberto Perez into the starting role and then moving potentially Haas into that uh, backup role. But they did take a big hit with their depth because, you know, with Haas moving up to Cleveland, that really uh, uh, makes your depth uh, really shallow, if not non- completely non-existent. Because after that, you know, who you have? You have Lee Jen Chu and Logan Ice. Well, there's nobody. There's yeah, nobody. Daniel Salters, those are those are your main guys. So I can see them signing a few more veteran guys to play in Columbus, maybe even Akron. Who knows? But uh, we check back in on Eric Kratz. 
Yeah. Adam Moore, he could use another year in Columbus, couldn't he? <laughs> oh, man. They, they, seriously, they better sign somebody. Because not, not that I don't like Haas, not that I don't like Perez, but catchers get hurt. Yeah, and they need, they need somebody better. No, no offense to any of these guys, but uh, Lee Genshu, uh, uh or uh, Daniel Salters, they need some better options than that. They really want to have a capable major league uh, depth option at this point. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I, th- I, th- I do think they definitely sign somebody now, whether or not they uh, stash them in AAA or, or put them in the majors and put Haas back in AAA as de- as depth to remains to be seen. But uh, I do think that Haas deserves a chance to prove himself as at the major league level as a backup catcher at the very least at this point. So, uh, yeah, we'll see. I agree. So that's uh, how that all breaks down. Um we're pretty much all on the same page right now. We kind of talked about how we think the Indians and the Indians basically saying themselves that they're looking to reallocate and and rebalance, reconfigure the roster, balance it out a little better. We'll see if that actually plays out or not, and who they'd be pursuing. Uh, quickly before we move on to the Rule Five draft and uh, then give our final thoughts before we uh, close up shop here. What do you guys uh, do? You guys have any kind of predictions? Any thoughts of who you'd like to see the Indians? pursue uh with the with this uh salary uh space or payroll space now that they've created and uh you know what should they address uh what's the more uh uh pressing area of the roster that needs addressed would it be the bullpen the outfield and you know they're batting the lineup to replace encarnacion in the middle of the order uh, uh what do you guys think about that uh justin i'll start with you yeah that's really tough i mean i we talked about this off the air before we got we started recording, but I don't feel like they're going to dip into free agency because who's really out there that you can think of that that makes a ton of sense for them on the free agent market unless some prices come down because they're not they're not going to go out and, and spend money on a position player that's a little older that's going to put them back in the same position as they just came out of. I mean, they just had to flip um, Encarnacion. So, you know, what, what's really out there for them to go out and go after? I mean, there's relievers out there, but I don't expect them to tr- to sign a free agent reliever. I think maybe there's a chance they can go after maybe Cody Allen on a one-year deal. That's something I could really think of right now. Um, but it's hard for me to think of who else is on the market because I don't think signing a free agent reliever is the best use of this money because they're so volatile. Um, and as far as outfielder is concerned, who's out there? I mean, what, Adam Jones? Um, gosh, I, I don't even know who's in the outfield market that makes a whole lot of sense for them. Uh, what about know? Nick Markakis? Yeah, I, mean, I was thinking Nick Markakis might come cheaper. He's kind of a uh, a Michael Brantley light, uh, maybe a little bit healthier because he's played a lot more over the last several years. Uh, but he's more he's left-handed again. Like, that's what I'm saying. I, I don't think... They're going to want to get more left-handed. And also, how do, how do they go through the tryouts with all these outfielders? You have, like, just, just right now, let's say that, okay, let's for for this exercise, let's say Jason Kipnis is coming to camp as an outfielder, because that's what Antonetti said the other day. You would have Kipnis, um, Luplo, Greg Allen, Leonis Martin, Tyler Naquin, um, I guess technically Trace Thompson, minor league deal, uh, and potentially Jake Bowers. Like, you've got all these outfielders, and you're going to go sign more? 
I, I don't know how I don't know how it works. I just don't. I I think whatever they're going to do, it's going to be a trade for an established young player. That's that's my guess. Is they've rebuilt their farm, not rebuilt. They've restocked the farm system a little bit. Maybe they will a little bit more. I still don't think trading a starting pitcher is off the table. Um, that could help them in multiple ways. But I, I think they're still more likely to flip some of their own prospects than they are to sign a free agent. Maybe they sign one free agent. I don't know where, but I, I'm still more, and I'm guessing they're going to try to trade for someone who's young and established. I mean, you know, Jarvis Solarte's out there. I know Jake posted about him a couple days ago. I like him. I've always liked him. Maybe he makes some sense. That's that's all I can really see. I, I think any any additions come from a trade for a young established player. Is you know, is Jerry Depoto sick enough to trade Mitch Haniger? Because let's go visit him at the hospital. Yeah, he already made one um, trade from his hospital bed, and that's that's just Jerry Depoto being Jerry Depoto. And who's to say that's one? Crazy. Who's to say that one more trade is is off the table with him? So uh, who knows? I'm thinking about the name AJ Pollock first came to my mind when you asked that question. And I know he's currently outside of the Indians price range, but let's say Pollock doesn't sign into January and we're at about mid January, about a month from now. And he's still unsigned. Would he be inclined to take a cheaper deal to have work? Would the Indians be a player? If they don't, this is barring the Indians don't make any sort of drastic moves in between now and then. I wonder if AJ Pollock is a name that could fi- that could factor in. I'm thinking of veterans when it comes to free agency. Mm-hmm. Like Nick Markakis in that in that sense made sense in my head. He was an all-star last year. I'm not saying he could be one again this year, although having a veteran presence out in there out in the outfield who is durable and consistent like him, I think that would be a good fit to have temporarily. Um but I'm I'm kind of on the same wavelength as Justin here in that the next move that the Indians make is more than likely going to be a trade. So it's a matter of who's out there, who's willing to offer what. I'm not going to take Kluber and Bauer off the table until they're gone, <laughs> whether it's their contracts are up or they retire as an Indian 10 years from now or whatever it is. I'm not going to ever stop talking about it because I just think that they're that valuable for now. I think to a team like the Dodgers, I wouldn't trade either to an American League team, especially New York or Boston. I wouldn't do that. But a National League team that they've been linked to, the Dodgers, the Braves, the Reds, if a team like that wants to build, I think the Dodgers and Kluber would be a fit. I think the Reds and Bauer would be a fit. Just really depends on what the Indians want back and what they would be able to get back for them. So I think they're not done, but I also think that we're not going to see anything too drastic uh, that moves the needle and really just sets the Indians way over the top. Like the sense of that, like the sense might have been when Edwin Encarnacion was signed to a team that already went to a World Series back in 2016 and that offseason right after that. All right, so uh, I I don't know if, how I see this offseason playing out. I think it's all going to depend on what goes on with Manny Machado and Bryce Harper because, you know, we can see these kind of log jams and free agency happen all the time. And 
I do think AJ Pollock is interesting because I think that, you know, with Bryce Harper being the talk of the offseason, even Manny Machado to an extent, I think AJ Pollock kind of gets goes by the wayside a little bit as far as being a, t- a top tier free agent. So that could be interesting. It, I think that Enwero Encarnacion kind of fell into that same boat. And I know he's a little bit older, but, you know, he, he kind of fell in that same boat. Uh, he was supposed to be a top-tier free agent, supposed to make the big bucks, and he didn't quite get the level of money he was supposed to get when the Indians signed him. I don't know if the same fate is in store for A.J. Pollock, but I think that I hadn't really thought of it before, but I think Corey brings up an interesting point that he might be somebody to keep an eye on. Or, you know, well, of course, nothing could happen. He could get the 100 million that he's uh, clearly worth uh, on the open market, but who knows? Uh I think that they're more apt to make a trade at, uh, because that's more in line with their MO of how they've uh, added to their roster in recent years. So I don't know how exactly that would work out. It's really just a point to a point where it's still too early in the offseason to figure out anything. I know a lot of things happen at the winter meetings, but you know Bryce Harper and Manny Machado are still unsigned, and obviously that's still holding up a lot of what's going on in how the market's going to be set. Although I do think that the uh, uh, Andrew McCutcheon signing might uh, have some uh, bearing on how the outfield market shapes out. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we'll see. I think that the Indians are reallocating and doing a decent job at it right now. Now it's just a matter of execution and finding the right players to really balance out their roster in a better fashion. Uh, but uh, we'll see. Uh Really quick before we move on to the Rule 5 draft uh, is just a quick uh, yes or no from both of you. Will one of Corey Kluber or Trevor Bauer be traded uh, before the offseason is over? Uh, Justin. Yes. Okay. Uh, Corey. Um, yes. Okay, I think I'm still on board with yes too because I think that now with the now with the uh, Encarnacion and Gomes contracts off the books, potentially maybe Yonder Alonso too. I think they're going to try to see if they can get max value for them. Now, whether or not teams want to negotiate with them is another story, but I think the Indians will be willing to move one of them if they get what they're asking for. Whether it's a guy like Alex Verdugo or maybe some more major league ready talent somewhere else, we'll see. But uh, I do think it's gonna, it's probably going to happen. Um, Rule 5 draft before we uh, close up shop here today uh, happened uh, to close off the winter meetings. And uh, while everybody was talking about Santana and uh, Encarnacion and Diaz and all that was going on, the Indians did pick up two players in the Rule 5 draft and also lost four players, one in the Major League portion and three in the Minor League portion. Uh the Indians picked up uh, left-hander Yapson Gomez from the Chicago Cubs in the minor league portion, and also uh, first baseman Willie Wilson Garcia from uh, the Orioles, also formerly of the Phillies. And Garcia, I think, is an interesting guy because he had a nice breakout year with the uh, Phillies and Orioles organizations. Uh, 293 average, 23 homers, 73 or 76 RBIs, and uh, high A. Uh, had an OPS of uh, over 830. Yapsin Gomez has some interesting numbers. You know, nothing major to write home about. 
You know, he had some good years. Uh, he had some good years back in uh, rookie ball. Uh, ERA's right in the 1-2 to two range. This past year, he had a ERA of 326, or uh, rather 328 in 38 games. The thing about both these guys is they're a little bit older and still in A-ball, right around their mid-20s, so factor that in how you will. But uh, then the players the Indians lost, uh, in the Major League portion, they lost Kyle Dowdy, who was part of that uh, Leonis Martin deal from the Tigers uh, to the Mets. Right-hander Matt Esparza went to the Angels in the minor league portion, as well as first baseman Anthony Miller to the A's. And right-hander Hector Figueroa for the Ray to the Rays. So, the grand scheme of things, you talk about guys like uh, uh, Henry Martinez, who many were worried about uh, losing the Indians losing in the Rule Five draft. He's still intact. Uh, the Indians, I think, did pretty well in the as far as the Rule Five draft is is concerned. Uh, Corey, what are your thoughts? I, I think they did well in regards to not first of all not losing Henry Martinez I think that was a big deal because Martinez could fix it in that bullpen but on the contrary stepping aside from the rule fight for two seconds Kieran Lovegrove went to the Giants organization a couple of weeks ago and I think that was a guy that I remember talking with you Jake last year on Farm Report about Kieran Lovegrove being a bullpen option as early as this season I think that stinks losing a guy like him um, yeah. especially after the way he rebounded but Talking about Rule 5, Kyle Dowdy was on some kind of track once he got to the Indians organization um, in the Leonis Martin Willie Castro swap. He was the guy that came over with Willie Ca- or uh, with Martin, excuse me, from uh, the Tigers organization. But he elevated his his velocity on his fastball. He was reaching high nineties, ninety eight miles an hour average velocity, which he was nowhere near that. I think it was like 92, 93 max when he was with the Tigers organization. So he changed something mechanical up and it's really paid off for him. So in that sense, I'm happy for him that um, he kind of worked his way up and became a rule five pick. But on the flip side, I think that stinks for the Indians to lose him. Now the two picks that they did make, you know, those are going to take a while to pan out. Uh, Wilson, I think is intriguing. He has a chance to kind of shift his game in the Indians organization, but um you know, Dowdy, Dowdy was the big one for me. And then keeping Henry Martinez, I think, could pay off, especially later on in the season when not only September call-ups happen and the Indians are looking for extra bullpen help, but maybe even before that, knock on wood, injuries happen. Um, I think Martinez could be a fixture in the Indians' bullpen this year. All right, uh, Justin, thoughts on the Rule 5 draft? Yeah, I'm super glad they didn't lose Henry Martinez. I, <clears throat> I definitely assumed someone was going to take him. I mean, he was hitting like 95, 96, 90. I think he actually hit 100 a couple times last year, if I'm not mistaken. I thought for sure any team would be interested in trying to, to capitalize on that and uh, potentially see if he could stick for a season. I thought maybe Rob Kaminsky could go, but for some, I don't, I mean, I don't want to say a Rule 5 draft is deep, but for some reason this draft felt deep in terms of, of potential upside guys. So I think a lot of the Indians guys didn't get taken. Um, I I like Kieran Lovegrove a lot. I, I like him as a person as well, much as a pitcher. He's a really cool guy. Um, I'm glad we got the chance to talk to him over the years he was here. But I was never as super high on him as everybody else. Um, just the, the walks and the control issues uh, were always there. Very high effort delivery. Not that Martinez is any different. Uh, I think Lovegrove and Martinez have a lot of the same qualities, and they both could help the Indians 
bullpen out at some point last year or this year, but they seem to be a lot higher on John Edwards, which I, I like John Edwards a lot too. Um, it, you know, it's tough to see bullpen depth go considering how badly they need it right now, but uh, I'm glad, I'm definitely glad they didn't lose Martinez since they did lose Lovegrove. They needed one or the other, I think, at least. Um, <laughs> they didn't lose Oscar Gonzalez. There were some people, MLB.com, the pipeline guys kept saying that he was the best guy they left unprotected this year, which I didn't, I didn't understand at all. I don't think anybody was taking Oscar Gonzalez. I was super wrong about Santander sticking in Baltimore. I don't know how they figured that out, but nobody was taking Martinez. I, that didn't really make much of a difference to me. And, uh, you know, maybe they got something in this Gomez kid. I'm just looking at his stats for the first time now and, uh, 24, not making out of a ball is kind of tough, but, um, maybe, maybe they see something there that can help them down the line somewhere. They can tap into something. I don't know. It doesn't look, doesn't look pretty though. Yeah. Uh, I don't like, I don't like the age aspect of the two guys they picked up, but I think that, uh, that Garcia might be able to offer a little bit of something to think they, if they can try to fast track him a little bit more, he'll be in most likely in double A to start this year and we'll see how that works out. But, you know, he's also a, uh, he's a first baseman mostly, but, you know, he's had some time at catcher, uh, but not very flexible with, uh, and versatile with fielding. So another, uh, first base option for them, but, uh, Hey, he's got a little bit of power and the old adage is if you can hit, you can play. So, uh, we'll see what the Indians, uh, can do with him. And if he pans out in any, uh, shape or form, but, uh, the Dowdy thing is weird too. Why they didn't protect him, I'm not sure. Maybe they just didn't feel like they had room. Yeah, I guess, guess not. But uh, we shall see if the if he sticks with the Mets and maybe he gets returned at some point, as per the Rule Five Draft uh, uh, bylaws. So, uh, but uh, I think that's pretty much it. Really. We've covered a lot of ground tonight. I know we've a little bit of an extended edition, but you know, winter meetings. Uh, had those three cap. We had a couple of major trades that went down and uh, also trying to uh, pinpoint exactly what direction the Indians are going with this off season. But I think we uh, pretty much covered it. Uh, any uh, final thoughts you guys wanted to share, uh, Corey? Um, I'm perusing Twitter. Did you see who Mark Shapiro compared Vlad Jr. to? Vladimir Guerrero Jr.? His I did quote not. Today, his quote today was, Vladdy only compares to Manny. That's Manny Ramirez. Oh, my. So there's that. Um, final thought, you know, with the Indians, you got to get better to beat Houston, Boston, New York, and then in, uh, whoever wins the National League. There's no looking up at the Central right now. I think that the the tightrope that the Indians are walking, fans might get frustrated at it because they're not pursuing the Harpers and the Machados of the world, but this gives everybody that's – whether you're an Indians fan or a baseball observer or whatever it may be, this is a really good case study. And it just goes to show what an organization kind of has to go through in order to not only stay competitive, but to keep financial aspects and financial interests intact because you can't completely shred everything to go for it. I mean, this is a good example of, you know, what if the Indians had no prospects left to deal? What if they had nothing in the farm system and they had no checks to scratch? You know, that's a really tough spot to be. So with all these moves that the Indians have made so far and that should be making within the next few weeks and within the next month, 
you got to keep that in mind that they're still walking this tightrope of competing with the powers of the American League now and keeping some of the future intact so they can keep a window of opportunity of winning open and build for a future. Yep, I think so too. And my final thought, uh, well, first I'll go to Justin. I'll share my final thought next. Uh, what do you have to uh, leave our listeners with? Uh, I think the Indian, I, we talked about this earlier. I think the Indians just have to make sure that when they're making these trades, if they're going to save money on, on Gomes, on Santana, presumably they're going to save if – they, if they trade, hopefully they can trade Alonzo. We didn't really talk about that, but Alonzo I think is going to get traded. There's just no spot for him uh, at this point on the roster. So that's money savings, hopefully. Maybe they trade Kipnis. I don't know. And if they trade a starting pitcher, if they trade Bauer or Kluber – I assume whatever they get back is not going to be as expensive as one of those two, I'd imagine. Maybe, maybe. But the whole thing, the whole point of all these trades are they have to reinvest the money in the team. They have to put that money back into the bullpen, the outfield, into a third baseman, wherever it is. They have to put the money they're saving onto the roster so they can show people that this is not just that they're not dumping money, they're reallocating it. And I think that's the plan. There's a lot of people on, on social media, and I know it's social media. People get mad. That's just what we do. Um, there's a lot of people who think they're just cutting money and they're not going to spend it again. I don't think that's the plan. I, I do believe, and I'm going to give them the benefit of the doubt, because they've, they've ran the organization really well the last several years with Frank Kona. I think for sure the plan is for them to take the money they're saving and reinvest it into the roster to balance the roster out and, and compete in October. I think they know they're going to win the division and they're going to make this team better to win in October. And that's what they have to do. If I'm wrong and they don't reinvest the money, then, you know, I'll eat my words, I guess. And I'll be frustrated like everybody else. But I think people need to understand that the ultimate goal here, I think is to save money, not, or not save money, but to, to reinvest it in different ways so the roster is not so top heavy with pitching, and Santana and Lind- or uh, Lind- excuse me, Lindor and Ramirez. That's that's where I'm at right now. I totally concur with all of that, and I think that yeah, that I, they should reallocate their assets, and I think that they will because we've seen them do it in the past. You know, go out there and try to get guys like you know the Andrew Miller, even Jonathan Lucroy, and then and Encarnacion and Brad Hand this past season, so they they're willing to go out there and get the pieces they need. They I think they just needed to do it in a little bit more of a creative fashion this time around. So I'm not ruling anything out yet until you know we're first pitch on opening day and nothing has happened. We have Jason Kipnis as our starting center fielder, so uh, or left fielder, however it might work out. So until that point, I'm gonna give them the benefit of the doubt as well. So uh, my final thought is gonna be about. Uh, more about more reading. I'm reading more about uh, Jake Bowers and you know what he brings to the table. And I think a lot of people, writers, some of our colleagues, and uh, have been doing so and really digging deep into the numbers and his profile. And I think I would recommend that everybody does this because I, a lot more uh, people whose opinion I respect are uh, starting to buy into Jake Bowers and thinking that he might be a, a better pickup than initially a lot of people realize uh, i'm looking at uh, a thread from mike hattery right now one of our former uh 
School Board here at IBI does uh, great uh, analytical work uh, in the blogosphere. He talked about how uh, how uh, Bowers basically is being for being such a young guy has elite plate discipline, solid contact rate, and uh, how you know he might have had an up and down season, but he did not appear overmatched by any stretch in the major leagues. And how he could be a, a a high floor type of guy. He might not be, like I said, he might not be a a really high ceiling type of guy, but he's going to be somebody who is at the minimum going to be league average, if not a little bit better, uh, with his production. So I think that uh, that's worth keeping an eye on. He predicts potentially a 105, 1010 way to runs created plus uh, with solid average defense and versatility. So. He's saying basically what you're getting with Bowers is everything you wanted to see with uh, Yandy Diaz, uh, but there's a better chance of it happening with uh, Bowers than it does with Diaz at this point. Uh, so don't sleep on Jake Bowers. That's I think that's what my final thought boils down to. So uh, we'll see how it all pans out. Welcome back, Carlos Santana. We wish uh, everyone in Canacion all the best in Seattle. Thank him for his couple years of service here in Cleveland. Uh, as well as Jan Gomes. Wish him all the best in uh, our nation's capital. He definitely uh, did the tribe proud here in his uh, years with the, with the Indians here in Cleveland, uh, handling the pitching staff. And then also best of luck to everybody selecting the Rule 5 draft who are moving on to other organizations. So uh, before we go, guys, any final thought or uh, rather any uh, plugs you wanted to uh, share? Uh, Corey? Yeah, Tomorrow or Saturday, I should say Friday or Saturday, should be dropping a piece that is updated now with Jake Bauer's acquisition about what do the Indians have in the outfield? What are the options? And we know that there's familiar faces like Naquin and Leonis Martin and Bradley Zimmer when he comes back from injury. But what about guys like Oscar Mercado? and Jordan Luplo, and now Jake Bowers. And I even looked at a couple of prospects that, um, as early as this season, I don't think they would make their way to Cleveland in 2019 um, unless, you know, significant injury bugs happen. But a couple of prospects to keep your eye on, on the cusp of their major league debuts. So look for that this weekend. All right, sounds good. Uh, Justin, what do you have? Uh, Probably early next week since we just talked about it. Uh, I got to do legwork on it now. <laughs> I'm hoping they don't make any major moves in the meantime, but you never know. It's it's winter now. so. Um, but I'm going to try to go through and look at the money saved in this deal, these two deals, I should say, um, and I'm going to try to put together what it means for the roster, where it can be allocated, and I'm going to look at uh, the value on the free agent market and who might be out there in the trade market, and uh, let's see where the money ends up coming in back onto the roster is what we're hoping anyway. So I'm going to see how that affects it. Hopefully Monday. All right, sounds, all right, sounds, sounds good. I'm going to be watching for that. As far as uh, my stuff is concerned, you can check out my uh, aforementioned uh, piece on Eric Haas and how he now seriously factors into the uh, Indians catching situation with Jan Gomes being traded and how I think he's going to be up for the challenge. Uh, if he ever gets that opportunity, uh, this upcoming season. We'll see how that all plays out. Also be sure to check out uh, the start of my uh, 
off-season prospect spotlight series, which I started out by looking at uh, uh, aforementioned uh, acquired prospect Daniel Johnson. Uh, took a little bit of a deeper dive into the scouting reports, some of the numbers, and uh, his whole profile, looking at you know where where he stands uh, in his development and uh, what his uh, potential could look like and what his upside could look like. So check that out. Those we posting throughout the offseason, probably one or two per week. You can get those uh, on the site as well. So uh, uh, as far as uh, the rest of our plugs are concerned, follow us on Twitter. Uh, I'm at Jake D Baseball. Corey's at CD Christen. Justin's at JL underscore baseball. You can always talk tribe with us. Uh, get all our insight and all our thoughts on all these rumors and uh, trades and other deals that go down this offseason. And uh, be sure to get things going again once uh, – the new year comes around, we'll be focusing more on prospect ranking. Before you know it, spring training will be here. So uh, offseason is chugging right along now that the winter meetings have ended. So uh, in the meantime, though, uh, follow the show account on Twitter at SmokeSignalsIBI as well as the site account at official underscore IBI. And uh, we just want to say thanks for listening. Uh, we wish you all a very safe and happy uh, holiday season. And uh, until... Uh, we reconvene again uh, either after the next deal or after the new year whenever whichever one comes first uh for Corey Christen and Justin Lotta I'm Jake Dungan and we say to you have a good one for questions and comments you can email us at smokesignals at indiansbaseballinsider.com also be sure to follow us on twitter at smokesignalsibi where you can find links to all our shows as well as poll questions and other cool podcast stuff. Thanks again for listening.